NG Poland and JS Poland conferences are coming soon. This year promises to be exceptional. We will see the Angular team on the stage. We will see quick creator, solid JS creator, experts from Google, Microsoft, Amazon, Cisco, Old Zero, and many, many more. Join an amazing group of developers like you today. Let's come together to celebrate Angular and JavaScript. Go to ngpoland.pl and sign up now. What's up everyone? This is Dariusz Kalbarczyk, co-founder of MG Poland, JS Poland, AngularMaster.dev and WorkshopFest.dev. Welcome back to Angular Master Podcast. Today, together with Greg Radio, who is an excellent speaker, trainer and principal consultant at Logular, we will talk about hexagonal architecture in Angular. Hi, Greg. How are you? Hey, I'm great. How about you? Thank you. Okay, so let's start. Tell me something about yourself, uh, what you do on a daily basis. Yes, I'm an Angular developer and I'm helping our clients. Uh, I'm pretty much principal developer for Angular. So in the morning, I'm you know waking up and doing some tooling and focusing on building software and coding and architectures. And then in the afternoon, I'm uh, working with clients and make sure that developers get better and progress and, you know, planning more like a strategic goals and, and things like this. Perfect. So which parts of front-end engineering do you value most and why? Yeah, so a lot of times when people code in, in front end, they don't focus on like the fundamentals and I value them the most. So things like solid principles, uh, dry, don't repeat yourself rules, Yagni, grasp, you know, all the stuff that is valid for other programming languages and frameworks as well. Um, and I value them the most because as I say, they are very fundamental. And instead of focusing on like a shiny details, I focus on a whole on, on art of building software. You have been working with architectures for years. Tell us your story. What have you worked with? Yeah, so I worked on, uh, obviously, with Angular. I started with, um, you know, understanding the framework. Uh, started with AngularJS and then worked my way up to Angular 2 and, and so on. So in the beginning, I, I had to understand things like, you know, smart component and presentational components and, and later uh, pick up some state logic. Um, and, you know, it didn't really click very well with me. It's because, like, I felt like every time I have to do something or change, I, I end up touching a lot of files and I end up, like, moving code from one place to another without, like, delivering big value for my code base. So I've been focusing a lot on things like, um, uh, you know, architectures. So the architecture is really, really important. It's because it allows you to do great things with your code base without a lot of effort. So if you really take care of it, you're going to benefit a lot from it. And then I had to learn about layered architecture. And a lot of times there is not a lot of like um, resources to learn. So you have to connect the dots yourself. And then what I did... I've been looking for inspiration in backend 
and and applying the same principles in the front end because I've been really a full stack developer before. When we talking about applying architectures, so obviously you have a lot of things like state management system, like NGXS and NGRX. I tried them both, and they are pretty good for building like medium-sized apps. But when you want to go beyond that and and build like enterprise-level things, um, I I find a lot of shortcomings. So like coupling and and layered architecture not being kept very well and a lot of developers struggle with it so i've been really deeply focusing on that for the last couple of years and yeah i started with ng poland two years ago and and last year and now this year as well so i hope uh, my my talks deliver a lot of value for for people who are interested in architecture okay so how about micro front ends they seem to be popular these days yeah and they are really great tools um Except that, you know, not everyone needs them really. I believe so. It's because it's like with micro, uh, microservices, you know. So it's, it's pretty much the same analogy. So the idea is if you cannot build a modular monolith, you will fail building microservices. And it's the same with micro frontends. If you cannot take care of your code base as an Angular monorepo, for example, with proper libraries, with separation of apps, and with modular architecture inside you will probably fail with micro frontend as well because you will start creating a lot of hacks in order to communicate between them and that's not the point in micro frontends you really should eliminate the communication and create a nice bounded context around your micro frontends so generally yeah it's hard to do it well and a lot of people uh, hype it and i think it's great and i think we should do it but it's really hard to do it well yeah Definitely. So uh, why hexagonal architecture? Aren't there enough of architectures in Angular? So there are many architectures, as I already mentioned, like NGXS and NGRX and different state management libraries. But hexagonal architecture is really sort of, a, to me, it's like a next level. So I've been trying like CQRS before and applying those principles. And also, you know, I've been really spending a lot of time on explaining people to go for simple architectures like service and, and component, then adding some abstractions like repositories of assets, and then going for the state as well. That's pretty cool. But then the coupling is, a, is an issue, really. So if I want to connect many states, I would have to have like a global state, or maybe I will have to end up with uh, communication, like dispatching an action from one state into another, and that's coupling. So that that's not really good. So I've been advocating things like event-driven architecture for some time, and and that's solving a lot of problems, and it works very well with NGXS and 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 generally the the state management systems. The the but however, you start coding more and more. And you see that your libraries start to communicate even even more, and you start need to have a different strategy of communication, like you know, like the RxJS uh, solves a lot of that for the for you. And the more I coded, I realized that you actually can go very well with the state, uh, with the subject-based RxJS approach. Um, actually, when I code now in hexagonal architecture, I don't use any state management system. I just mimic it in my in my subjects in my RxJS subjects, and they do pretty well. So hexagonal architecture is sort of like a next level to me, and to many people, I, I preach this approach, and and they really love it. So I haven't got any single person who wants to go back to standard state management. Uh, 
but anyway, there are great tools for building great apps. But if you want to go for like really big ones, um, hexagonal might be the answer. So what is so special about hexagonal architecture? It's really flexible and scalable. So, and it's following the, the, fundamentals, the fundamentals I mentioned before. So for example, the solid principles, um, you know, you have nicely designed components that are loosely coupled and have high cohesion. So generally, um, think about it like a lot, like all the layers are separated with the ports. A port is an abstraction. So obviously, I cannot just explain it in a podcast in one go. But the answer is really a scalable and maintainable system that has like very little overhead. Obviously, you have to understand all the concepts, but once you understand them, you you can build much greater software. Yeah. So uh, what are um, the most common pushbacks from developers when starting to learn about hexagonal architecture? This is a great question. So generally, um, a lot of people, when see hexagonal architecture at first, they will say that it's complex. Um, so why do you need to create so many files and so many abstractions in order to do simple things? And the answer to that is really, maybe you don't, and then you shouldn't use hexagonal architecture. And the other answer could be, because sooner or later, you're going to need them. So in general, let's assume you're in a setup where you really need a um, complex system, right? So what you can end up with is a big ball of mud. So generally, you will have a you know, system that's connected everywhere. Uh, you skip the layers, create the lasagna or spaghetti code, And then, you know, <laughs> our clients call for us and help uh, and ask for help. And then we come into the code base and we see the same things over and over again. So there are no libraries. Okay, we can solve that. The naming convention is off. Um, everything is connected. Everything is, um, like, coupled with one another. And then we have a big components that have bloated logics and, and so on. Hexagonal architecture solves that problem. So generally, what you can do is you can um, introduce, at first, something that looks pretty complex, but then once you learn it, you realize that every single file has a meaning. And then when you apply it well, you will end up with less files. This is something really amazing that we see with our clients, is when we go in the code base and it has, let's say, 100, lines, 100 files, right? And then we apply hexagonal architecture to it. We create a 30 extra files that are sort of unfamiliar at first for the developers. And then we end up with like 40 files at all. So all the 60 that have been created, and most of them were like useless components, maybe not useless, but something that was not needed to, to design the same system, we end up with less files, less overhead, and much better testing strategy. It is complex then? I wouldn't say complex, it's advanced. That, that would be more, more appropriate. But um, it is sort of complex. You have to understand three layers and that every layer can have a different adapters. And the adapter can be really anything. You know, It could be a local storage if it's a single... So you have a primary adapters and secondary adapters. And then in the middle you have a core. And the core is the application logic. It might, might not contain domain logic as well. And then um, 
in your primary adapters, you have all the stuff, which is like your Angular component that you're familiar with. So, for example, you have components, directives, resolvers, guards. You might also have event handlers. And then that's it, really. Um, and then you have to apply some rules that, you know, you want to separate the, store, the, the state from, from application logic, and you want to use secondary adapters, which are really infrastructure. So all your HTTP, HTTP calls, all your GraphQL calls, Firebase, whatever. It's a, it's a secondary detail that's not important for your business, but it's behind the port, so you can easily swap it. Is it complex? Well, as I explained, I guess it is complex at first, but eventually you start seeing the value in it. Uh, is it over-engineered, so? Okay. I think most of the cases, the code is under-engineered. I would like to introduce this new term called under-engineering. Think about it like this. So I have a code base, and it's simple, right? So I have only component, maybe a resolver, and then a service, and maybe state management. That's it. Four components. Uh, like four components of my architecture. Okay. Is it over-engineered? Well, no, it's simple, so it's probably not over-engineered, but it's under-engineered because you start putting your domain logic and your business logic and your application you know, things into your components. They start to become very big, and then you start realizing that you actually should export it somewhere else, and then you start creating your own things and re-engineering, like reinventing the wheel. And in Angular, uh, sorry, in Hexagonal architecture, it's already made for you. It's already there, waiting, and easily to explain. Each component does different separate things. And so far, we realize that it's pretty simple for people um, who already get it in the habit of using it. And then pretty much you can get working with it. So I would say no, it's not over-engineered. And the reason is most of the code base are under-engineered. So use hexagonal architecture to, to check it for yourself. You're listening, Angular Master Podcast. Listen, code, repeat. Everything you need to know to become an Angular super developer. How about testing? Yeah. So, you know, testing is really important for me. I've been talking about it for years now. And it, it, it goes very well. It's because you have abstractions in between the layers. So the adapters and core are separated with the abstraction. It could be abstract class or it could be interface. And testing is really easy. Mocking is really easy. Stabbing is really easy. Um, you can very well just, you know, use harnesses for components. You can use, um, you know, you can use all your testing strategy with um, integration testing, acceptance testing, unit testing. You can test your components very well in isolation. Um, and you can also test integration very easily. You can create your testing modules. So it's, it's really, really handy. One, actually, the testing is one of the biggest value when you, when you talk about hexagonal architecture. So it, it's pretty powerful, actually. How about micro frontends? Oh, yeah, right. So you can use... Uh, uh, so hexagonal and micro frontends also go very well uh, together. It's because they... Um, uh, so imagine that every micro frontend contains its own hexagonal architecture in it. Then it's well-defined, bounded context, and then you're simply, you know, you, you don't go around, like you don't go outside your hexagonal, and then you only use the parts to communicate it with outside world. 
and you can easily swap in between micro frontends and monoliths uh, and, and back and forth because everything is self-contained in a single library or in a set of libraries. So they work very well with hexagonal architecture. Awesome. Uh, is there any other architecture that you plan to talk about in the future? Well, you see, I am not 100% sure what the future will hold for me, right? It's because whenever... Imagine this, like three years ago, I talked about um, CQRS and alternative to state management systems. And one year ago, I've been really diving deep into how we actually apply the CQRS principles and even driven architecture. And this year, I'm talking about the hexagonal architecture. To my knowledge, there is anything more advanced than this. But hey, we don't know. Maybe we're going to invent something new. But for now, I believe, like, really, I, I believe, like, a lot of code bases would be much better off if they apply hexagonal approach to it. Or it doesn't have to be called hexagonal or anything like that. It could be pretty much using the standard solid and... and you know, dry principles, and you would be very well off using simple tricks. Um, hexagonal is a mix of all those. It's like combining all this, my, all this, you know, more than 15 years of knowledge into something like ready to be used by many developers. So technically, I don't know what the future will hold, but for now, <laughs> hexagonal is the most advanced I've ever, you know, designed. What are your plans for the future? Yeah, so right now we're focusing on, um, you know, teaching a lot of people uh, Angular framework. Um, so the company I'm working on, we're really focusing on quite a few things. And one of them is um, teaching people to code. Another thing is, you know, consultancy and helping clients to, um, you know, get better uh, in front end in general, especially using the Angular. And then the other one is tooling. So we're really focusing on tooling a lot. So we're building like extensions and plugins to your IDE, whether it's a VS Code or IntelliJ or WebStorm, whatever, one of the family. Um, and, and we help you actually understand your code with better and code faster. And actually, it's pretty funny because we see that people increase the productivity by order of magnitude, like 10 times better than what they used to if they use the tooling that we actually built. It's still in a beta phase, but that's going to be a big focus for 2023. What advice would you give to people who are starting their careers in the software world today? And what for those who are old-timers? It's a great question. So we work with both, actually, on a daily basis. And what I can tell is, like the... Mm, the newcomers, they usually have like, I believe the two sides can learn from each other a lot. So, for example, um, let's start with the newcomers. So the newcomers will have a lot of energy and a lot of passion to do the things that they do, but they don't have enough of knowledge, right? So for them, I would say, focus on good sources of knowledge where you can learn important stuff. Because there is... A lot of like spam. If you if you just Google things on Stack Overflow and and just your only goal is to make things work, that's not good enough. Like you, you're gonna be average developer. But if you're focusing on understanding why things work the certain way and apply the principles and take the time to learn those principles first, you're gonna be much greater developer. At start, it's like with testing, right? So if you don't do testing, 
you probably build faster on the beginning, but then eventually you just hit the wall. But if you do testing, you have a constant growth. The same is here. Every day, even no matter if you're a newcomer or old timer, you can say, always spend some time on learning. Don't assume that you already know everything, right? And that's the main message for the, for the old timers. Like, don't think you know it all, um, because you might not. Uh, you might know a lot, but then, you know, learning new things will probably keep you passionate about what you do. And that's also very important, something you can learn from the newcomers. And also a very important message is try to teach other people too. Like when you teach, there is a saying that when one teaches, two learns. So when you teach someone, you actually discover a lot of things. It's like the rubber duck approach, you know? When you don't know the solution for the problem, you talk to the rubber duck and then the solution comes to you. The same is with teaching. If you teach to someone, a lot of ideas come to you. So I would say spend time on both cases, spend time on learning, in both cases, try to apply new knowledge and, and just fiddle with it. Play around. Like, don't lose the passion. My last question for today. Two books you would recommend to our listeners. One technical and one non-technical. For the technical book, obviously it depends who is the person I'm talking to. But there is like a book that really changed me a lot from the technical perspective. And that's um, Solid Code, really. It's a Solid Code by Bob Martin. Um, it's it's really great. I know some of it might seem to be basic for some of you, but it like it makes sense to 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 look through it again um, because when I read it again, I discover new things every time. Mm, and non technical one, I would say the one that was really making an impact on me was uh, I believe it's called the hook. Um, it's about how to build uh, uh, viral or addictive products, something like this. So generally, I believe it's called The Hook. So generally, it's about how to build products that really stay in the mind of the customer. And I believe a lot of people focus on the technical part. But of course, it's a product book. But if I could choose any other, you know, there was a lot of like self-improvement books that I also read. But focusing on like professional side, I would say... Learn how to build products, not just software. I think it's. I think there is a huge deficit of developers who really understand what they're doing. Like a lot of people understand the technicality of it, but they don't really understand the value for the user behind it. And this is why when I talk to like product owners or business people, they will tell me like why developers don't cannot just be proactive and propose features and. I really don't know, but I think it's it has to do something with like maybe just being already I don't know good enough for themselves, and then they don't have to maybe introduce new ideas, or maybe they expect someone else to come with ideas. But in general, maybe it has to do something with I don't know, or maybe I don't buy in what I'm really building, and and that's why I guess so. Really focusing on on building products or building value for the user instead of just the software. I believe that's, that's like a next level. Thank you so much for today's discussion. Uh, a lot of great, valuable information. Uh, the hexagonal architecture is very interesting. By the way, I'm going to be on the NG Poland talking about it. So please come uh, and buy your ticket. And uh, yeah, I'll be more than happy to explain you. Come to NG Poland, make sure you get the ticket, and I'll see you there, hopefully.
Thank you so much. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye. Finally, please subscribe to our podcast, leave a like and a comment to help us continue to grow.